What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Sports Inventory with your hosts, Ben Kuchipudi and... I, the Iceman Grant. Ben, 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 how are you doing today? Doing great on this, um, this brisk Friday evening. I'm in a good mood. The Knicks knocked off the Celtics on the road in Boston on national television yesterday. So that made me feel pretty good, especially being in um, the Massachusetts area. So... A little bit of a nice sweet taste of victory for our boys in the orange and blue. That was quite the dog fight last night. If any of our viewers caught that game, that game was absolutely electrifying. Went into OT in TD Garden. Um, it was back and forth. The Knicks pulled it out 120 to 117. Jalen Brown missed the last two free throws for you know potential game winning situation. But <laughs> what a ride! What a ride! What a ride! But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We are here to talk about. The NFL playoffs, once again, we are in conference championship weekend, and we're going to do same same deal as last the last few weeks. We're going to go over the previous round, and we're going to give our takes and our predictions for the championship games this weekend. So let's start with the first game on Saturday, the Jacksonville Jaguars at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs won by a score of 27-20, to 20. and honestly, shout out to Jacksonville for this one. For a good three and a half quarters, they put up a really good fight against the Chiefs. Tyler, what are your thoughts on um, on this one? I mean, it was a bit of a dogfight. Obviously, everybody had Jacksonville down and out. Um, but these boys came to play. Jacksonville is here for a reason. They are a legitimate team and will continue to be a legitimate team come the foreseeable future. But coupled with Trevor Lawrence's inexperience and also that Scary injury, which we'll get into when it comes to the preview and the prediction with Patty Mahomes. This game seemed like it was close. Chad Henney kind of come in the game, sling a couple rocks for a touchdown on Travis Kelsey. But the Chiefs didn't look as stellar and, you know, insane as we all probably predicted them to be against Jacksonville. But they still pulled out the win. Andy Reid has been in situations like this before. But one of my biggest uh, takeaways from this game is not only Patty Mahomes' ankle injury, but also the emergence of Isaiah Pachenko. That kid can run the ball, right? So It's something yeah. about these number 10s in Kansas City jerseys, whether it's Tyree Kill or Pacheco. I remember, I forgot I was in the second or third quarter. He had a 41, 40-something yard run that put the Chiefs at the goal line with Chad Henney, a quarterback, which set up a, a touchdown. So a huge game for the, the rookie out of Rutgers. Yeah, so the thing about the scoring breakdown of this game is they both they, both teams scored a touchdown in the first. Uh, Jacksonville only scored a field goal in the second, and Kansas City scored a touchdown and a field goal. Third quarter, we didn't see anything from any team besides a field goal from the Chiefs. But then the Jacksonville Jaguars came out with a 10-point you know, fourth quarter while the ja- uh, Chiefs had a seven-point fourth quarter. So this is it, – it. Jacksonville Jaguars have like this you know late burner. They love to apply points on late – and I wouldn't say they're the most clutch team, but they definitely know how to make the adjustments at halftime and going into the fourth quarter, as we saw against the Chargers. And also the Chiefs, they started coming back a little bit. But my biggest thing is is Patty Mahomes' is his ankle, right? So I'm hearing from all these sources or whatever, and I'm looking at this. Like, in the game, he got back in the game because adrenaline's over his body, right? But what I've heard from several athletes who've had similar injuries regarding ankle is you might be able to go back in the game. You might be able to perform. But the day after your body is leaving that adrenaline state and you're going to feel that pain. 
And it's going to be very, very interesting how Kansas City and the medical staff is going to nurse this for Patty Mahomes. And how is this going to go forward? Because Patrick Mahomes, one of his biggest assets regarding the passing game is his mobility, right? He can extend the pocket, roll out really efficiently. He's quite elusive. It's kind of weird. But the fact that that aspect of his game is going to be limited or even just eliminated from the the conference championship here, it's going to be a very, very tough call. But then again, Patrick Mahomes is probably one of the most gifted pocket passers this generation has seen. So, you know, one part of his aspect is going to be taken away, but the other part's just going to be that much more, you know, utilized. And that part of that, that offense that he has, stellar, stellar. So I think the Chiefs will be fine going forward. Yeah, those the I'm sure all of Arrowhead Stadium held their breaths as soon as Mahomes limped off the field and Henny came in. But it just shows that Mahomes has that dog in him. He came back off the sprained ankle. A lot of adrenaline obviously came into play, but he was he was playing on one foot. And he was able to beat a red hot Jacksonville Jaguars team. And the big thing for me with Kansas City, their defense showed up at the biggest time in the game. The Jaguars were at the goal line, about to score a touchdown, and they ran a screen to Jamal Agnew, and they the Chiefs forced a fumble and got the ball back. And the next drive, they forced Trevor Lawrence into a pick. So two huge turnovers in the la- in the second part of the fourth quarter that d- lifted the Chiefs to victory. And that's a very underrated thing about this Chiefs team. You always hear about the offensive stars. You hear about Mahomes and Kelsey, and you hear about. The rise of the running backs, Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon. You hear about Juju Smith-Schuster. But the defense, they have playmakers. Chris Jones, Legarius Sneed, Juan Thornhill, Billy Gay, Frank Clark. These guys, are, these guys aren't any joke. The Kansas City Chiefs defense is a, re, is a big reason why they won this game. And honestly, like that's I wouldn't say it's the reason why they won, but honestly, I think their offense could have been a lot better. And their defense, not, I don't want to say bail them out, but save the game. It definitely made it comfortable for the Chiefs to operate, right? And I think the defense is playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder because I'm going to hit you with a little fun fact away here, Ben. The Chiefs' defense in the red zone is 31st in the league. I don't know if you know anything about the teams in the league, but that's second to last, Ben, if I'm not mistaken. So the thing about this Chiefs' defense is everybody's like, oh, they're the Chiefs. They're going to score regardless. But you're gonna we're getting into this 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 mode of football where you're gonna have to score constantly and you're gonna have to stop constantly. It's gonna get really gritty, really fast, and the Chiefs the Chiefs are gonna have to do some major major defensive adjustments going against the Bengals this weekend because this is probably the best offense they've encountered thus far. And this isn't just one of the best offenses. It's one of the best offenses in the league, led by Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Hayden Hurst, that good-ass line. Excuse my language. But it's going to be very, very interesting to see this defense unfold and Patrick Mahomes operate a certain way that he hasn't really operated in a while. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. We'll get into our predictions for the Bengals and Chiefs game in a little bit. But for now, we are going to move on to the next, to the next game, the Saturday night game. Division rivalry, divisional round game, the New York Giants at the Philadelphia Eagles. I think we both knew that this was gonna, this wasn't gonna be a p- close game, but I didn't expect the Eagles to win thirty-eight to seven. That's for sure. Absolutely, Ben. I just knew that the discrepancy in talent was gonna be there, right? Um, the Giants were a very hot team coming in, but their inexperience really came in absolutely. It, it, it was just it was just a slaughterhouse, really. And uh, I have no questions any further about Jalen Hurts' uh, sh- uh, throwing out shoulder. 
It clearly looked great to me. The guy went 154 for two touchdowns, 16 for 24, and scrambled quite a little bit too. Um, but one thing, one takeaway I'm taking away from this game on the Eagles side is how many weapons they really have. Miles Sanders, Kenneth Gainwell, uh, Boston Scott, the giant killer, as we know. And the plethora of receiving options they have, Dallas Goder, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, who didn't even have a crazy game, but he just made impactful catches. This is going to be a very, very dangerous roster that the 49ers are going to encounter because this Eagles team, I think, is the most complete team in football. And they have a certain grit to them, too. Lane Johnson is, is battling an abdominal injury right now, but he he didn't let up a single sack that whole game on Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Kayvon Thibodeau coming off the end. Like, this team not only has protection, but it has the throwing power, the, the firepower, and the defensive stops. You know, they, they really just isolated the Giants through, thin and through. And, you know, I think, as a, you know, if you're a Giants fan, I know this is obviously a very sad way to go out, being absolutely dogged. But I think this is a win, as, a win for a season because you were supposed to be in a rebuild mode. You ended up 10-8-1, and, and you made it to a divisional round. The future future is very, very bright, but there's a lot of adjustments you guys got to make because you're going to constantly encounter teams like this, and these teams are immensely talented. The Giants, the thing I'll say about the Giants, once again, shout out to Big Blue on their first playoff appearance since 2016, their first playoff win since 2012, but they got a lot of questions answered this offseason. Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, the two most important players on this team, are going to be free, unrestricted free agents. Absolutely. And Daniel Jones reportedly could get $30 million a year. And he did not have the greatest performance today. Fifteen, Not today, the last game, excuse me. 15 of 27, 135 yards and one pick. Um, I'm sh- I know that he's played amazingly against um, Minnesota, but Minnesota is one of the worst defenses in the league. When you play an elite defense like Philadelphia, and there's going to be a lot of teams like that, are you going to really um, want to pay someone who puts up the stat line? And I don't know if I would pay Daniel Jones $30 million a year. I would pay him maybe $30 million on a shorter-term deal. But a four- or five-year extension for Daniel Jones at $30 million a year is questionable. However, I do think he will get re-signed by the Giants. I think that they don't, they're not picking high enough for a quarterback this year, and I don't think they're going to sign or trade for a veteran quarterback. Now, the bigger question mark is Saquon Barkley. Absolutely. And he did not have a great game either. Only nine carries, 61 yards. We all know that Barkley is one of the most, if not the most explosive player in the NFL when healthy. He could take any run 60 yards to the crib, and it doesn't matter where he is in the backfield. But there are a lot of times where we see Saquon's legs get tired for multiple games at a time. There was a, multiple stretches in the last few years where Barkley would rush for maybe 20 yards a game on less than two yards a carry. And it's worth wondering how much mileage there really is in these legs and if he can handle a full-season workload. Because the Giants offered Barkley $12 million a year, and Barkley turned that down. Now, he said he's not trying to reset the market for running backs, but he's trying to get at least $16 million a year, which is about how much Christian McCaffrey's making. And if I was the Giants, I I don't know if I would pay Barkley that money. I know he's a fan favorite. He wants to be a Giant for life. Um, big, he he bleeds red and blue, but are you? I don't know if I would pay for, um, maybe like a hat, like ten games a season of good Saquon Barkley, and seven bad games of Saquon Barkley because sixteen million dollars a year is a lot of money. 
especially for a running back, and not just any running back, a running back who's been very injury-prone ever since his rookie year. And I don't know if I can bank on him for being healthy for a, for a full season every time. So if I were the Giants, I would definitely look at my options at running back because they ha- they're able to run the ball like decently well, even without Barkley. I feel like they can look for a cheaper option free agency or via the draft. But if I were the if I were the Giants, I would definitely consider looking for a replacement for Barkley. Yeah, it's definitely tough. I'm sure every Giants fan ever is gonna hate what you just said, Ben, because he, he is a fan favorite. You know, the, the town loves him. He eats free at every East Rutherford and New York restaurant. I just think it's gonna be really interesting because if he wants that Derrick Henry money, if he wants that Christian McCaffrey money. As we all know, we've discussed in the past before, Ben, if you want an offense that'll last a long time and put up those numbers, the most neglected position, the most readily available, the most expendable position is the running back. And if your running back is your second highest earner on the squad, it's going to be a tough call because like you said, Ben, they have a lot of things they got to add. If you got to pay Danny, fine, whatever. He's going to do his mediocre stuff and do what he has to do under Brian DeBall. But you still need a receiver. You have no good receivers. You know, Isaiah Hodges had one good game, big whoopie do, Richie James is whatever. Darius Slayton drops slant passes, what have you. But they need a lot of adjustments, right? And paying Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley is going to put a lot of stress on the future decisions you make regarding the roster. So this was fun while it lasted, but, you know, the Giants front office and everything over in New York, really, or I should say East Rutherford because they play there. Um, is going to need a revamp or rehaul, and they're going to have to watch each you know chess move they make because uh, it might it might be a big blunder coming in a couple of moves if they don't play their cards right and they don't give in, and allocate the money the right way. But that's obviously a story for the offseason. I'm sure we'll dedicate an episode to that. But all I know is that the Eagles, man, whew, Jesus, like these these guys can play football, and I'm excited to see them upcoming this weekend. There's a reason why these guys have the most expensive tickets currently for games. They're, the average ticket price right now is over $2,000 for this conference championship game, which should be an absolute dogfight. And for the Giants, they got to fix, they got to retool this roster quickly because their strength to schedule, they have the third hardest schedule in the league next yeah. year. Yeah. So and the much, entire NFC East does too, which is crazy how it flip flopped. But a lot of work for these for a big blue, but a very good year for them nonetheless. Absolutely. Moving on to the AFC again, I think I'm not shocked that the Bengals won this game. I'm shocked on how bad the Bills look. The Bengals won by a score of 27 to 10, and the Bengals just made the Bills look silly. This was an absolute clinic by a Bengals team that is hungry and looking to go to the back to the Super Bowl and this time win the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow did his thing 23 of 36 242 yards two touchdowns easily outplayed josh allen who was 25 of 42 264 yards and a pick tyler thoughts on who day <laughs> i just think this squad from cincinnati is proving that their super bowl run last season wasn't a fluke right so you have this team that everybody's like it's the Bengals, it's a fluke season whatever they're legitimate ben they are more legitimate than i have ever seen them be legitimate Josh, you know, Josh Allen, he was the the team's leading rusher. He had 26 yards and a rushing touchdown. He was the Bills' leading rusher. He attempted 42 passes, only, you know, got 25 off. Only a pick in 264 yards. We saw that last-minute pick, obviously. Um, And Dawson Knox was their leading receiver at 65 yards with five receptions. Stephon Diggs, let's talk about him for a second. 
we're all you know we all see the little bloke on the sideline yeah we all see the clips of him yelling at his quarterback on the sideline but he himself was being locked up a little bit you know the Bengals came out with a several different types of zones three four four three uh, a combination of cover two even a couple of couples cover zeros putting a lot of pressure on Josh Allen um but this Bengals team they had the receipts they came ready to play and they just they they played perfect. They they knew what to do against the Buffalo Bills. And I'm gonna bring this back to the last episode. I think the the departure of Brian DeBall for Josh Allen, a great OC coupled with this guy's great talent, was a big thing for Josh Allen. And he looked a little lost out there. Some of his passes weren't there, questionable decisions. And it was definitely tough. It didn't help that it was also snowing too. That's never a good condition to play in, albeit very cool to watch, but to play in. I've played in it before, Ben. Not very fun. So the thing about it is, like, what do you do, right? What do you do moving forward? The Buffalo Bills right now, Bills Mafia, they're all scratching their heads because it's like, it's like, what's going on with Josh Allen? You know, Stephon Diggs is obviously disgruntled right now, you know, albeit, you know, he's one of the best wide receivers in the game. But, you know, I would be a little bit mad, too. Um, what do you do moving forward? Is it a, is it a coaching question mark? You know, are, Honestly, is- for Buffalo, this is... It's concerning to say the least because Josh Allen usually plays very, very well in the playoffs. He was dominant in the playoffs in 2020 and 2021. This year, he looked terrible. He threw three picks in the two games play. He just didn't look the same. And obviously, a big reason for that is Brian Dable leaving to become the coach of the Giants. But three straight, three years of being Super Bowl contenders, and you ha- and the last two years, you haven't made it out of the divisional round. I feel like a lot of that is actually on coaching. Now, Sean McDermott is one of the best coaches in the league, but he did get outcoached by Zach Taylor this game, and he got outcoached by Andy Reid last year in the divisional. Mm-hmm. So, and I feel like he didn't really make the adjustments needed to put the team in the position to win. But also, I remember this is the Bills. Their run may be shorter than a lot of people think. Even they're always going to be competitive with Josh Allen because the dude is still an alien, even though he yeah, had a very good. shaky playoff run. But there's a lot of guys that they're going to be paying. Like Allen obviously is making a boatload of money. Stephon Diggs is making a lot of money. Von Miller, who is 34 years old, he's make he's still making a ton of money. They're going to have to pay Gabe Davis, and they're going to have to pay more. They have a lot of guys in their defense they're paying, and I feel like the Buffalo Bills that. I feel like this game showed that they're human because a lot of the because a lot of people expected the Bills to win the Super Bowl at the beginning of the year, myself included. But this shows that the Bills are definitely beatable. And honestly, I'm gonna bring this back to the AFC East because as a Jets fan, I I have to do that. So this shows that the I feel like this shows for next year the AFC East is gonna be wide open. And it's not the Bills division. It's the Bills division to lose, but the Bill. I wouldn't be shocked if any of these teams won the division. Whether it's Miami, New York, even New England, I feel like all these teams have a pretty good shot at beating out the Buffalo Bills for the AFC East title. So this game really said a lot about Buffalo now, and I feel like it says a lot about Buffalo for the future. What is is Josh Allen going to look the same without Dable going forward? Are they able to rebound from something like this? Is Stephon Diggs gonna stay pissed at Josh Allen? We don't know, but I feel like I feel like Buffalo fans should be a little a little scared right now, just seeing their team getting absolutely manhandled by the Bengals. Yeah, absolutely agree, Ben. I couldn't have said it better myself. I just think that if nothing changes regarding staff, 
players and other things like that. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and again, expecting different results, right? So going forward, um, if this is just how the Buffalo Bills are going to play, it's going to be the beginning of the end. And they're just never going to capture that Super Bowl that they've always, you know, wanted, you know? And it's just interesting. And back to your point with, you know, it is going to be the Bills, you know, division and, and stuff to lose, you know? And it's, it's, it's super difficult because this is an immensely talented squad that's only going to get older. It's only going to want more money, you know, and I think the biggest thing is paying the defense, right? There's a lot of studs in that defense, Matt Milano, Tredavious White, all those guys, Jordan Poirier, they're going to get older, they're going to want more money, and that defense can, like, just just like that in offseason, just explode and go into rebuild mode, and they're going to just plummet in the defensive numbers, and that's bad for Buffalo because this is their window right now. We're in it. We're in that window, right? And I think only next year is going to be... The, the possibly the last window unless they make some major improvements. And that's kind of sad because it's somewhat of a short-lived prime for Buffalo. Um, obviously, like you said, Josh Allen's an alien. He's going to continue to play awesomely. But I just don't think the play calling's, you know, uh, you know, agreeing with him. And it's, there's something's off about him. There's some sort of mental block, you know. And my favorite quarterback, we'll, who, who, we'll get to him shortly, is having kind of a similar kind of thing as Josh Allen. There's just something not right, but it might take, take an offseason to fix. But I, all I know is that Cincinnati's legit. And the Chiefs are going to have a game this weekend. Yeah, going to for Buffalo again. Currently, they're nineteen million dollars under the cap, and there are two major free agents that they have, both on defense: Jordan Poyer, safety, and Tremaine Edmonds, linebacker. If both of them leaves, Buffalo's defense is going to become a lot worse because Jordan Poyer, this guy is tough as nails. He's thirty-two Crazy years old, friend. and he played. I don't know if you heard the stories about Poyer. He he played in almost every single game. He played through a torn meniscus all season. He's so this like, guy is this guy is tough as nails. He's a perennial pro bowler, and he knows how to make a play on the ball. And Tremaine Edmonds slowly becoming one of the best off-ball linebackers in the league. He's I'm 99% sure he's going to leave for a lucrative contract, and the Bills can't pay that. And the Bills are going to have to do a lot of restructuring. A lot of cap casualties are going to be made to get under the cap. And I feel like there's going to be a lot of shuffling in Buffalo this offseason. We're going to see not a completely different Bills team, but definitely some new names on the team and definitely some old faces gone. Absolutely, Ben. Absolutely. But it's going to be a very, very interesting future for both teams involved. I agree. Now, going on to your, bo- going on to your boys, the Cowboys and the 49ers, <laughs> I think you got to start with this one because I feel you've got a lot in your mind that you want to spill out right now. Ben, I have so many happy things I'm about, so many sad things I'm about, so many question marks, so many head scratchers, so many knee slapping moments. My first thing is, because this is also recent news, Dan Quinn, right? Dan Quinn just shut down all of the head coaching offers. He said, I have unfinished business here, so he's staying. To elaborate on that, I think he did phenomenal this game defensively orchestrating this defense micah parsons armstrong daron bland trayvon diggs we'll get to his you know dropped interception which led to the touchdown which could have changed the tide of the game whatever but this was a defensive game and it showed that dallas's defense is legit we made the 49ers look extremely average and they only came down with a big score and a big moment after a insane george kittle catch that just like bobbled, bounced that off the face the mask. That was the yeah, one that, that changed the game because before that moment, it was just stalemate after stalemate. Dallas couldn't get it going. 49ers couldn't get it going. It was just a lot of check down, slants, good tackles. 
And one of the biggest things is the 49ers excel at yards after the catch, right? You see these crazy plays where Brock Purdy drops back a four-yard slant to Debo Samuel. It turns to 45 yards, right? Dan Quinn understood that, took notes on it, and made sure that if you catch the ball, you're going to stay where you catch that ball, right? And it was awesome. I love Dallas defense. Now let's get to the offense, right? Dak Prescott had 206 yards, 23 for 37, one touchdown, two picks. The first pick was idiotic. It was stupid. It was bad. I'm not sure if CD overran the route, underran the route, but it was still a bad ball nonetheless. The second pick, which was in the red zone, he hit CD, great defense by Tredarius Ward, and Fred Warner so happened to be there. That's fine. Whatever. Like, that's not on him. But the, the ankle sprain by, or fracture, I, don't, I, don't, I forget the injury at the moment, of Tony Pollard really killed the game plan that Kellen Moore had in play. Because if I have Tony Pollard in my offense, I know exactly what I'm doing. Because he's one of the most electrifying and just just awesome running backs this league has seen. And he's going to have a bright future, God willing, he comes back from this injury strong or even equal. He is the, the heart of this Dallas offense. You know, he creates these big moments, these big runs. You know, he turns something out of nothing. And him going down was a big oh my god moment my you know the hands were on my head ben my eyes closed i covered them up it was bad because i knew kellen moore was going into this game and he was going to utilize tony pollard a lot him going down was scary so i was like fine zeke is going in zeke had one of the worst games i have ever seen it's been like after the last few years it seems like yeah it's just he's not that guy anymore like he had the tony pollard role he put on muscle, he slowed down, he became a, you know, third and one threat, you know, like just up the middle, kind of just hard nose, you know, power back. And we wanted him to do what Tony Pollard does, and he just can't do that anymore. He had 10 carries for 26 yards, and 49ers were just stuffing him, stuffing him. And I'm seeing all this news, I follow all the Dallas Cowboys pages, I follow all these things. And like I said the last episode, there's a lot of criticism on Dak Prescott, and it's like, oh, it's his game to lose. You're going up against the best defense in the NFL, arguably. They're the first in rushing, like, I think top 10 in passing. Like, obviously, whatever. But I'm fine with Dak Prescott. I think he's going through something. I don't know. You know, maybe some possibly he had something with his girlfriend, whatever it being. But I don't think he's the problem. I think truly down, down in my heart, I think Kellen Moore is a problem. And that solidified it with that final play of the game. Ben, were you watching that game, Ben? Of course I was. The hell Zeke, was that? Ezekiel Elliott snaps the ball to Dak Prescott. We throw to Cavante Turpin. He gets lit up. What, what, what play call is that? And I love, I love the fact that Kellen Moore afterwards was like, yeah, we practice that in practice all the time. What, what does that look like in practice that you thought it was going to work in game? That grinded my gears. And going forward, we're going to have to, we need a new OC. Um, I don't know who OC we'd hire, but I'd, I'd rather anybody but Kellen Moore at this point. I think Dak is fine. I, I, I do think we need another weapon. Um, I think our safeties really showed up, even though they're inexperienced. Malik, Hook, Malik Hooker, Dayron Bland. Trayvon Diggs got to get the hands back. He had some good coverage moments, but he dropped an interception that led to a Christian McCaffrey rushing touchdown. So there's a lot of little things about that. But my biggest happy spot was our Dallas defense. We made Brock Purdy look very human. We, we made him of uncomfortable a lot. We pushed him out to places that he didn't want to throw. 
And this just goes to show that next season, Dan Quinn's going to have a game plan for everybody. And the Dallas defense is going to look like the defense of old. It's going to look really, really good. But my biggest question mark is OC, another weapon, and Dak just getting back into the mentality of ball security. Because before the season, he was pretty good with the ball. But now it, 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 it's really bad. But I can only assume we can look up from this. But uh, good job to the 49ers. It was a very close game, very exciting game at moments. But the thing about the 49ers is, you know, everybody said that Dallas, this is going to be the first legitimate off uh, defense they faced. And look what happened when they, this is the first legitimate defense they faced. They only put up 19. Brock Purdy didn't have a single passing touchdown, almost an interception. Elijah, Elijah Mitchell was their leading rusher with 51. And George Kittle had a 95 yards on five receptions because two big, big catches. Debo, you know, barely showed up. We, we, we were on that. So, like, what is San Fran going to do against the Eagles, whose defense is better than Dallas? And their offense is way more consistent than Dallas. Um, this is my biggest question mark going in for the 49ers. Is like, if you can barely make it past Dallas, which we have our gripes, the Eagles are going to stomp on you guys. On and the road, it, too. That's a Yeah, on, on the road. And I saw some really interesting stats on how Brock Purdy excels in home games or games where, you know, the, the, the crowd's chanting for him. But he sucks on away games. He really does. And, you know, there is no more hostile environment than to go into Philadelphia. This weekend, it's going to be cold. It's not San Fran. It's going to be 38 degrees and windy. It's going to be a very, very difficult game for Brock Purdy. And obviously, I have no grime against Brock Purdy. I love his story thus far, 8-0 thus far, you know, being in this nice 49ers uh, offense. But this is going to be the biggest test thus far in his little Tom Brady run. Can he make it past Philadelphia, who had an MVP candidate, Jalen Hurts, an insane defense, weapons at everywhere you look? This is going to be an absolute, you know, firing squad show. This is going to be an, I'm I'm looking forward to this game more than the Chiefs Bengals game, honestly, because this is going to be really exciting. Now, for the for the 49ers, didn't play a perfect game. Brock Purdy, as you said, looked very human. The Cowboys did a beautiful job on the ground, holding Elijah Mitchell and McCaffrey both under four yards of carry. It's just the just the the big plays is what killed this game for Dallas. The yeah. George Kittle catch was the one that that changed all momentum. And for um Dallas, I I agree. Dak Prescott is not the problem. Dak Prescott, the thing is, and we know he's good. We know Dak Prescott is definitely an above average quarterback. He's not great. Yeah. And is he going to be the guy to take Dallas to the Super Bowl? Because they have a very small window of Prescott and their current core because they're aging. They're going to be demanding money. We don't how we don't know how long the window is. I'm sure Mike McCarthy's seat should be a little hotter, but I don't know what I don't know what kind of relationship Jerry Jones has with him. I know you, you want to hear something, Ben. You want to hear? Apparently, Jerry Jones wants him to have a Pars- Jimmy Parsons esque legacy, like coaching for 29 years. Which here's the thing about that, right? Mike McCarthy might be dead in 29 years. We'll <laughs> yeah, so that's the thing. Um, you know, obviously he's taken us to back-to-back 12-win seasons, but we haven't had any Lombardis to show for it. So, like, it, it, like I said before about the prior round, it's like insanity is the definition of doing the same thing over and over and again and expecting different results. Something has to change. I think the biggest thing is OC, but also I think our quarterback room and some sort of relationship with Dak Prescott has to change because I still think that Dak Prescott is somewhat of an uncut gem, but uncut gems have to be in the hands of a master jeweler to really show the true beauty of it. I got that out of a book, by the way, Ben. It sounds real smart. That's not my words. But I do think 
that he's an uncut gem that needs to be in the hands of a master jeweler. He has to be in the hands of a guy that understands the quarterback position. Now, Kellen Moore was a quarterback, whatever, but he was obsolete. He was a bump. He needs to be in a guy that understands him and that Dak understands the coach. OC has to change. Quarterback has to change. I'm, I'm starting to grow with McCarthy, but I think he brings a certain aura of laziness. Like, it's like, whatever. I think he has to just hold people accountable. I'm not really seeing anybody getting in anybody's asses besides Brett Maher, which another thing, too, he would have missed that first kick. You know, he would have missed that first kick, too. There's something going on with him. The wheels fell off the wagon. But like the Yankees, Dallas is one of those teams where it's the most stressful, you know, athletic job on the planet. You know, it's, it's tough. The fan base is the biggest. There's always the eyes are always on there. All the social media pages have this deep hatred for Dallas for some reason. So every time something happens to Dallas, the memes are flowing, everything's going. And it's very, very difficult. But I it's it's very interesting. But I, I hope the offseason goes goes the way I want it to go. But it's gonna come down to Jerry Jones, you know. He constantly makes these weird decisions. And Jerry Jones's track record is so, so interesting. You know, he'll overpay Dak Prescott, but now he's hurting on that. He'll draft Micah Parsons, even though nobody wanted him. Now we love him. You know, it's it's too much involvement from him and a culmination of other things. But Dallas is always going to be the most interesting narrative in the NFL. So I completely agree. And this and for the Niners, this showed a lot about them. How are they going to do against Philadelphia on the road against uh, against one of the best defenses in the league? Well, that's what we're going to talk about right now. So the first game on Championship Sunday. Niners, Eagles. This has the lookings of the game of the year right here. Two of the best defenses in the league. But the thing is with the Niners defense, they have a they have a 27 game streak of without allowing a rusher to go over 70 yards. This is gonna come to an end this week because of Jalen Hurts. Not even not because of Sanders, not because of Kenny Gainwell, because of Hurts. The Niners have struggled against mobile quarterbacks, and they didn't play that many this season. So I'm sure I think the streak is going to end. I think Jalen Hurts is going to run all over them. I don't think it, I think they're going to hold him in check in the passing game. I think Devontae Smith and AJ Brown, they're not going to they're not going to get shut down because it's impossible shutting down these two receivers. But I think they're going to be held in check. So, and it's and for San Francisco, we talked about this before. The weather is going to play a huge factor in this. How is Brock Purdy going to do in frigid Philadelphia against probably the loudest fan base in the NFL? And probably the most hostile environment in the league. Um, this is gonna show a lot about Brock Purdy's character. Is he indeed BCB? Is he is this Cinderella story gonna come to an end? Is his inexperience gonna show in a game like this? How much can the, how how is Philly gonna game plan or not Philly? How is San Francisco gonna game plan for Philly? Because I'm sure they're gonna be aggressive. I think they're Philly's gonna send a lot of blitzes with their four guys with over ten sacks this year. And as we know about Philadelphia. Ball hawking secondary with Darius Slay and James Bradbury and CJ Gardner Johnson. So I think for this game, I think Philadelphia, it's going to be a tight game, but I think Philly's going to take the sweat. I think they're going to win 24 to 17. A little lower scoring game. I think Brock Purdy Cinderella run ends here, unfortunately. And the prediction was mine as well. This Eagles team is too crazy. They led the league in pass defense, only letting up 179.8 yards per game and led the league in sacks by 70. I think the big guy going to performing is basically everybody who's going to try to sack the quarterback, Hassan Reddick, you know, Jordan Davis, Brandon Graham. You know, the Cowboys kind of showed a stint in that armor, a little hole, you know, in, in the chain mail. You know, Brock Purdy's got to get hit, right? And the thing is, 
Brock Purdy, a lot of his success comes from the plays that are built on it, right? So a little stat for you today, Ben, 73% of, you know, the dropbacks with Brock Purdy has pre-motion snaps or pre-snap motion, I should say. Sorry. You know what that means, Ben? A lot of motion, a lot of guys, that, a lot of guys in motion, a lot of moving around. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, Kyle Shanahan with these pre-snap motions just likes to scramble defenses. If I have Christian McCaffrey coming off, him playing receiver, Brandon Ayuk coming across on a motion, a little jet sweep, it confuses defenses. But the Eagles are not easily confused. They They're are, not going to get confused by that. Yes. They got some elite playmakers on that team. Yeah, and... It's it they they are phenomenal on making adjustments uh, on the defensive side and the 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 big thing here is if you make Brock Purdy stressed he makes bad decisions the thing is we don't see a lot of bad decisions because a he hasn't received a lot of pressure up until Dallas b you have Trent Williams protecting you in that awesome line and a plethora of other guys too you have a Kyle Juice check fullback you know having pass blocking assignments he doesn't receive a lot of pressure but Ben. When he does on pressured throws, he has one of the lowest QBR ratings in the league. Interesting stat for you, Ben. So the thing about it is, if the Eagles can bring the pressure, which I don't think that should be a problem because they bring pressure the entire season, Brock Purdy's going to make mistakes. He's going to overthrow, underthrow, and not like Dallas, Eagles is going to capitalize on those mistakes with picks, turnovers, fumbles, etc. So it's going to be a really, yeah, really, really interesting thing. And Jalen Hurts... Like you said, Ben, San Fran isn't really accustomed to mobile quarterbacks, but Jalen Hurts, we know Jalen Hurts, right? And he's going to extend plays big, and the 49ers are going to have a lot of good sets where they're going to cover A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goder, Quez Watkins, the list goes on. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't see something he likes, he's going to take off, and he's a fast quarterback as well. So how are you going to handle that? And it's going to be really, really interesting. Also, Jalen Hurts, I know Nick Bosa's coming off, but... You know, Jalen Hurts is going to have Lane Johnson protecting him, Kelsey protecting him, Maylotta protecting him. This 49ers defense is going to have to be on the ball game regarding the pass rush because this is probably the best line assembled in recent years. So it's going to be really, really fun game to show. But I know Jalen Hurts is going to have the time. And when Jalen Hurts has the time, oh boy, does he create a lot of big plays. Jalen Hurts, he's surgical in the air with his protection. And even if you, it's impossible to stop it's impossible to contain Philly's offense completely. With the weapons with A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders, Gainwell, even if all the guys are covered, you still have to account for Jalen Hurts running for 15, 20 yards out of, like, after, out of the pocket. Like, how, the, way, the way that Philly assembled this team, I'm going I'm to um, step away from the game, Phil, but just the way Philadelphia assembled this team, and we all know the memes and the, and the jokes about the Eagles passing up on DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson. We all know the jokes on that. But Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman done a beautiful job creating the best team in the NFL. Elite quarterback, elite run game, yeah. elite wide receiver one. And Devonta Smith can be a wide receiver one on a lot of teams in the NFL. A top probably five tight end right now. The best line in, in, pro- in probably a decade for any team. And one of the one of the best pass rushes we've seen in recent years, and an elite secondary, and this is all this is what they built it for for going back to the big game and seeing if they can bring another ring to the city, to the city of brotherly love. So as much as I despise Philadelphia, 
I have to tip my hat off to this team. They've done a beautiful job of building a team, and a lot of GMs should learn from this. Absolutely. And they also created this really good atmosphere for coaching. As we saw after the game, Seriani wearing you know the Eagles chain and stuff like that, having a good relationship with the players. That's what I'm lacking in Dallas. I need a coach like that that's not only going to get in your ass, call good plays, but also be somewhat of a peer, you know? Some of the best teachers I've had in my life, Ben, whether it was a coach or a teacher or even some friends in higher places, they don't you, if you treat them like an overseer, you're never going to have a good relationship with them. Good coaches are also good friends to these players, you know? They're peers, they're good partners in crime. And Seriani and this Eagle squad, they're a unit. They're together. They're, they're probably the closest unit. They just love each other. There's a certain camaraderie. Like you said, it's a city of brotherly love, Ben. You know, we, we know what Rocky did, you know. This is going to be an absolute good game. And if the Eagles come with the ball, I see them winning by a touchdown, maybe two. But it's going to be quite the master class from Jalen Hurts. And Brock Purdy, I think this is where he falls. But I, I also do think that he's still going to keep the starting gig for next season. I think th- I think this season Brock Perry secured that going undefeated ever since he stepped onto the onto Levi Stadium. So Philadelphia, we both have them representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. But for the AFC, Bengals at Chiefs rematch of last year. I for this one, I feel like a lot of people think the Bengals are going to win this one. You know, Patrick Mahomes is dealing with a high ankle sprain. Most people are out for six to eight weeks with this injury. Patrick Mahomes is He's not human. He can he can play with this injury, and it's gonna affect his mobility. But he leads the NFL in QBR with seventy three on throws from inside the pocket, which is gonna have to do a lot of considering his he's not gonna be as mobile. And the Chiefs receivers know how to get open, whether it's Travis Kelsey or Juju Smith Schuster or even someone like Marcus Valdez Scantling. He can hit over the top. And as long as Kansas City's line can hold up, I don't think they're gonna have any problem scoring. As good as Cincy's defense is, I just think the line for Kansas City is good. I think if they hold up against guys like Trey Hendrickson and Sam Hubbard and DJ Reader, I think Mahomes is going to have a very good time in the pocket. Now for Cincinnati, we know the story about Joe Burrow versus Patrick Mahomes. 3-0 and in his career. And um, actually, funny thing, the Cincinnati mayor came out and said that Joe Burrow might take a paternity test. Because he might be Patrick Mahomes' father. And if I was the Chiefs, if I'm seeing this, I would use that as fuel. Because I feel like the Bengals are being very cocky. You know, Eli Apple went on his his infamous Twitter rampage. When Stephon Diggs yelled at Josh Allen. A lot of of replies to these tweets. And a lot of of comedy coming from Eli Apple. And And Cincinnati, after the game against the Bills, they were calling Arrowhead Burrowhead. Obviously, we know Joe Burrow and the, and the Bengals beat Kansas City to go to the Super Bowl in Arrowhead last year. And I feel like that she should take notice of this and use this as anger and some fuel to the fire. I would, I would, I would, I was since, since he's Kansas City's defense, I want to go out and pu- I want to go out and just punch them in the mouth. Cause we know, even though Cincinnati, they spent a lot on their O line, it still has been a little shaky. And if I was Frank Clark or or Chris Jones or George Karlaftis. I have I'm there I would be out for blood if I were them. And I think that's gonna be a big factor in this game. I feel like the Bengals, I don't know if their line's gonna be able to hold up against arguably the best defensive tackle in the league right now. And I think Kansas City, I think revenge is on their mind. I think Mahomes is gonna end this losing streak against Joe Burrow. 
And I think since I think the Chiefs are going to win this one 34 to 27. And I think Mahomes is going to look for his second Super Bowl this year. And I, I agree with I I do think it's going to be an Eagles Chiefs Super Bowl. I think the big takeaway for this game is there's a couple of things. One, I love your point on the defense. The defense has a certain chip on their shoulder because they're a disrespected defense. And they're going up against a team that, you know, for lack of a better term, has their number, right? I think a big thing here is the yards after the catch. If I'm Cincinnati, I have to limit the receiving on the Chiefs' side. Uh, here's a little interesting fact for you, Ben. 53% of the Chiefs' receiving yards are yards after the catch, which is the second highest in the league behind the 49ers. So the thing about this is the Chiefs love having these big plays, and Patrick Mahomes creates these big plays, coupled with Andy Reid's West Coast offense. And the, 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 the Bengals have to limit that somehow, whether it's a strong zone or relying on the man coverage. But this brings us to my next point. Travis Kelsey is going to be the biggest difference maker here because from the Bengals side, Trey Flowers usually lines up against the tight end of the opposition, but he's battling a hamstring injury and he does pretty well against the tight ends. So what do you do? Do you target Travis Kelsey? Cause you know, no one's going to stop him, bring on the doubles and let Jared McKinnon, Juju Smith, all those other guys eat up. What's the game plan for Andy Reid going forward? Because Travis Kelsey is one of those players in all sports. There's very few of them, but you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him, you know, just slow him down a little bit. He's going to get his way. If I'm yeah. Cincinnati, what do I do about the fact that Patty Mahomes is not going to be the most mobile guy coming this weekend, you know, and how am I going to apply the pressure? Cincinnati's pressure, sometimes they give all the time in the world to the opposition's quarterback. And that's a dangerous, dangerous thing. And they rely heavily on their secondary, but Patrick Mahomes is better than Josh Allen. Let's be real here. And Patrick Mahomes is going to make those good decisions. He makes good reads. And Andy Reid sets up a beautiful game plan for him to succeed. And it's going to be tough. And like I mentioned earlier with the Chiefs, the Chiefs defense is ranked 31st, second to last in the NFL in red zone defense. But they do phenomenal before the red zones on each side. So the Chiefs have to really lock it down and prevent the Bengals from entering the red zone because we know, coupled with the fact that they're 31st in, in red zone defense and the Bengals being the Bengals, they're going to score over there. So it's going to be a very, very interesting game, and it's going to come down to a coaching battle because I think both quarterbacks are going to have a good game. I think both receiving options, the top one being Travis Kelsey and Jamar Chase, they're going to have good games. The defense are going to pick off each other one time. But I think it's going to come down to coaching and clock management. I think this game is going to be much closer than you thought, Ben. I think it's going to be 28-21. to 21. Chiefs win on the game-winning drive, and they send themselves to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I'm sure, the war, I'm sure most of the country wants to see Cincinnati win this game because everyone loves Joe Burrow. I love Joe Burrow. You love Joe Burrow. Oh, yeah. But I, think, I think Mahomes hears the noise. And I, this might be in part to Chris Collinsworth. I feel like there are people who hate on Mahomes just because Chris Collinsworth seems like every time he he's on the call of Patrick Mahomes. Even if he may, I don't know if you remember in the the Jacksonville game, Patrick yep. Mahomes threw a play into threw a ball into the dirt, and Chris Collinsworth, ah, oh, that's a heck of a play by Mahomes. <laughs> he he does love some Patty. I ain't going to lie. He, does love Patty. He, def he definitely has like you ever see the the picture of Cash Nasty with the LeBron James bedsheets. Oh, that's yeah. Chris. That's Chris Collinsworth that's and Patty Mahomes. Bitches. Yeah, he loves that quarterback. And you know, we all have our we all have our loves. You know, I really love Steph Curry. I'll I'll die loving Steph Curry. 
But you know, there, there's certain ways where you gotta you gotta uh, commentate the game appropriately. If it's a bad throw, you could say you know you're not gonna you get shot on the block. Absolutely, I just think that it's gonna be a Chiefs Eagles Super Bowl. The Kelsey brothers are gonna go at it. Um, obviously, we can get to that you know next week or the week after whenever we deem it fit to talk about the Super Bowl if our predictions stand. But I do genuinely think it's gonna be Chiefs Eagles, and it's gonna be an it's going to be an absolute blast of a Super Bowl. Rihanna's performing at halftime, Ben. We're going to oh, love it. I'm love calling the local pizzeria, Ben. We're going to get pies for everybody. It's going to be great. But all the quarterbacks here now have very, very interesting narratives that got them there. And that makes me excited as a fan because it shows it doesn't matter how you start. don't matter where you were drafted. It matters what you could do with the opportunity, right? Um, Joe Burrow, obviously being, you know, a huge pick, he was first pick for Cincinnati and generally first picks are very hard to pan out. It's very hard to go into arguably the worst team in football and somehow figure out how to, how to play that way. But he's done it. Jalen Hurts wasn't picked in the first round. He was picked much later and look where he's gotten right now, how he's evolved. Brock Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant. Look where he's at right now, taking this, this insane 49ers team to where they are today. Patrick Mahomes being obviously a later pick and players picked before him. Who would have thought, right? And it's really, really cool to see football pan this way. And I think football is one of those sports, I think the only sport, in fact, where you can have Hall of Flame players. You can have these insane talents. And it doesn't matter where you draft them. It's just a matter of who, who got that dog in them. Who's That's here to play? The sport. And I'll give a perfect example of this right now. Brock Purdy, we... Mr. Relevant, he shows that he has the dog in him. He had the fire, the swagger. He knew how to play the game properly, and he was the last overall pick. You know who wasn't the last overall pick and didn't know how to play the game? Zachary Wilson. <laughs> he came into the league. Maybe it was a maybe he came in. A, he shouldn't have started right away, but second overall pick looked like he could be should be a USFL quarterback. Which could be in his book, which could be his future career and the for football if he decides to uh, keep going that route. So yeah, it like a lot of the guys, a lot of Hall of Famers. I think there are more Hall of Famers that are drafted in the sixth or seventh round than in the first round, and it just shows that they they know how to play the game. They're smart. They're not they're not always the most athletic people, aka Tom Brady, Brock Purdy. You get the idea. And a lot of the first round talents are they're very gifted physically. They're gifted um, with speed, size, strength. And um, the guys who are drafted later, you know, they're good at what they do, but they're, they're smaller, they're weaker, they're slower. But a lot of it, a lot of it is because of um, just the heart and the IQ. I feel like IQ is a big thing in football. Absolutely. If you're smart, you know, you'll know how to work your way around, which is how Tom Brady dominated the NFL for the last 23 years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I just think that football shows that if you want to be here, you know, your impact and your effort will, will, will show. And we've discussed this in prior podcasts. Maybe we can dedicate a future podcast potentially with a, with a, with a, with a guest from the football, you know, atmosphere, but it's, it's really hard to be drafted in a lottery in the NFL because you're going to a team that doesn't have any sort of, you know, panaz. They don't have any moxie. They're, they're, they're figuring it out. And they think that picking you with a top 15 pick is going to just flip their organization around. But that, if, if, oh, sorry, Ben, sorry about that. You can go. I got you. So the perfect, yeah. And we're going to see a lot of that in this year's draft because 
I'm not for the. I'm not gonna talk about the Chicago Bears because I feel like the Bears they have a pretty decent looking future. They got a lot of money. Chicago is a pretty big market. They look like they got their quarterback in Justin Fields. Yeah, and they can build the roster. I'm gonna talk about the Texans. The Houston Texans have been one of the worst organizations in the last few years, ever since Deshaun the whole Deshaun Watson situation happened. Yep. And if they're expecting Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or whatever whoever decided to draft to pick number two to come in and change this franchise, they're dead wrong. Because right now, I think Houston is currently the least desirable spot to play for, whether it's as a free agent, as a draft pick, or even as a coach. I don't know how many because they ha- the coach that they have over the past few years. Let's we can run it down. We have uh we have Lovey Smith who just got fired one and done. Dave Cully who just got fired one and done. And Bill O'Brien, who's currently the OC of the Patriots now, but he was never a really good head coach. I feel like with teams like Houston, you're going to have to hit on the late-round picks. And they got a lot of late-round picks. And they do have two first-round picks, two, both in the top 15. But if Houston really wants to turn on the organization, they're going to have to hit on the late-round picks. And I feel like they could definitely do that, but it just really depends on how how much we trust their GM. And I don't know how much I trust their GM right now, but for teams that are in the smaller markets and not don't have a lot of swagger to them, which is what Cincinnati was when Joe Burrow got drafted, and they were able to to um, pick players late in later rounds, and they were able to develop them into very quality players. And I feel like a lot of teams are going to have to follow that blueprint and really take scout and they they take scouting seriously. But I feel like scouting is a very underappreciated thing in the NFL. I feel like the GMs don't get a lot of um they get a lot of um respect for their free agency signings and their early picks, but the late round picks I feel like is where it, it it's at. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, what's the moral of the story? Why do we go on this little tr- you know rant about drafting? I think a lot of these guys, their best players aren't lottery picks. Travis Kelsey was drafted in the 3rd round in 2013, you know? And all these other guys, like, obviously you have an abnormality in Joe Burrow being one of one, one of Heisman, a natty, and he's going f- trying to go for his second Super Bowl run. But a lot of these teams are built on just good players. And like you said, Ben, I don't even think, I think scouts are criminally underrated because good scouts provide you good players with good intangibles and good potential that lead it up. And all these teams had some sort of process they had to go through to get here. You know, the Eagles came off that Super Bowl and they kind of blew stuff up. They, you know, lost Carson Wentz, Nick Foles just lost that juice, St. Nick. They had to figure it out and they got draft capital. They figured it out. Boom. They figured it out. Cincinnati coming off the worst team in the NFL, drafting Joe Burrow and signing things the right way, drafting the right way. The Chiefs before Patty Mahomes, they didn't really have a head, you know, since the 90s. They were kind of trying to figure it out. They had good players, sure, but they never had that, you know, that it stuff, right? And the 49ers, you know, they had their ups and downs and sides to sides in the early 2000s for them, whatever, were pretty mediocre, but they really honed it in on the, on the draft capital and they drafted a team and they created a situation where all they need was a quarterback. The rest of the team is complete. And the, the, the life lesson here, the moral of the story is it's about creating a system for yourselves. It's about creating longevity, a process. You are a, a sports team. It's a process. You can never just win automatically. It, it's a grind. You know, every championship team has some sort of path and it's going to be filled with hills and valleys and low slopes, but you, everybody can get there. Look at these teams, these four teams that are here and these teams are going to be continue to be here. So the moral of the story is 
you just got to figure it out. You got to be slow. You got to trust the process. You got to hire the right people and create certain environments to thrive in because there, there are plenty of sports, you know, the athletic teams, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, hockey, even soccer, Prem League, La Liga that have toxic environments that really can't show the true potential of an athlete. And the best way to show an athlete off is to have a healthy environment for him to grow. I completely agree. And I think, I think that's the perfect way to end this podcast. Always a pleasure doing this with you, buddy. Likewise, Benjamin. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Sports Inventory. Um, oh, my bad. Episode will be up shortly. We have a new set time, 7.45 Friday nights. New episodes drop. Once Ooh, again, man. I'm Ben Kuchipudi. And I'm Ty the Iceman Graham. Catch you guys later. Peace out.